it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moment of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't look for me at 48th and 6th on the 15th floor. I picked up steaks and I've gone to beautiful Glendale, Arizona. I would say it's beautiful, but not quite yet. I'd say it's about 32 degrees. But I'm not complaining, even though I'm outdoors, right outside the State Farm Stadium, where it's going to be a, a very interesting game. It's good to see America back. It's good to see this, the streets teeming with people and two fervent fan bases. Not to put down any other city, but there's certain cities that are kind of take back and listen, take back and just watch my team. That's not the Eagles fans. That's not the Chiefs fans. And before we get to my great guests at the bottom of the hour, Tony Dungy, uh, Super Bowl winning, uh, Super Bowl winning coach and Hall of Famer, and Admiral Chavita standing by. Quickly, let's go to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's big three. Number three. I did some math. Arizona will be my 25th Super Bowl for the league. Almost as important, the 57th. They'll have the highlights of the pregame, 48 hours to kick off. Number two. Weaponization of government. The hearings began, emotions ran high, and even a whistleblower was brought to tears. We'll discuss. Number one. More than a balloon, let's try a fleet. That's how Intel describes the surveillance ship China sent across our country. But the president says no big deal. For me, that's not acceptable. But why worry about what I say when Admiral James Chavitas is standing by? He's the 16th Supreme Allied Commander of NATO, currently a member of the Carlisle Group, best-selling author. And if anyone knows about the weaponization of balloons, it's him. So, Admiral, is this a big deal, that balloon that was shot down on Saturday? Of course it is. Um, but before we even get there, I have to say the first time I went up in a balloon was not a spy balloon, but it was not too far from where you are now. It was in Albuquerque, New Mexico. I actually went to high school in Tempe, Arizona, right wow. near where you are. And I was playing a tennis tournament in New Mexico and actually went up in a balloon. But let's stay with the Chinese balloons. Of course, it's a big deal. And we're learning more about the uh, extreme segmentation of this, not just uh, attacking the United States, but really across the world. So we got a lot to learn. And uh, frankly, uh, as we've talked about a couple of times already, Brian, um, we need to be more aggressive in facing up to the Chinese threat. And I think this has been a pretty good example of how they stole a march on us and ended up with this Evidently, not just this balloon, but uh, at least three or four previous ones. So clearly, we have work to do. I'll put you in central command, and you hear about a balloon going over uh, 10 days ago, or maybe more than that now, the Aleutia Islands off the coast of Alaska. What do you recommend? Not from what you know now, but from what you knew then. I think even then I would have uh, recommended to the president, and it would be a presidential decision, clearly, Uh, to shoot it down while it was over unpopulated areas, hopefully over water. But uh, certainly there's plenty of uh, wide open space up there. And it's important to remember, Brian, by the way, um, up in that part of the world, 
it's not just the United States. U.S. and Canada come together to create uh, NORAD, North American Air Defense. It's centered in Colorado. But that's where all that information is fused. Um, if I had been the commander of U.S. North Northern Command and in that command center in NORAD, I would have been talking constantly to our Canadian colleagues and tried to figure out a place to shoot it down um, earlier, certainly, than letting it get overpopulated portions of the United States. Is it easier for the most part to recover something if it's taken down over land or sea? Uh, that's a, a smart question to ask. Um, I am going to go with over the land. If you can get it in a, uh, a non-populated kind of area, there are some advantages to something that goes down at sea. But here the negative, Brian, is simply the seawater, and, and particularly if it's in deep water. Um, probably the sweet spot would be to take it down in a deforested, depopulated area. That's kind of ideal. We didn't have that particular choice, I don't think, uh, early on. It was either going to be above very forested Alaskan, Canadian land or out at sea, off the Aleutians. Uh, probably with those two choices, might have let it broach. Uh, land, but take it before it could could get to anything that it could really provide intelligence to the Chinese. You know, you probably have people you can call and find out, and there was private briefings and, uh, given yesterday, but the fact that there were English writing on it, meaning that it came from a Western country, more than likely ours, what does that tell you? <clears throat> well, first it tells you, you know, the world is interconnected and global, and that there is a great deal of access to U.S. technology around the world. And frankly, if you've cracked open uh, weapon systems that the Russians are using against the Ukrainians, you would probably find uh, some U.S. components there. We still make an enormous number of chips here. We don't make the super high-end ones that are made in Taiwan. But frankly, you don't need super high-end chips to run something like this. So, uh, Point one is it's a global industry, and point two is uh, we have to do a better job of policing where U.S. technology ends up. Uh, where we don't want it, obviously, is in the hands of the Russians, the Iranians, the North Koreans, and above all, the Chinese. I want you to hear what David Betrayus said yesterday with Neil Cavuto, cut 10. Well, it's puzzling. Uh, and what's even more puzzling to me, Neil, and when I testified before the House Intelligence Committee yesterday, I raised the fact that this begs the question of what kind of approval process is there in China for this kind of what is very, very sensitive activity. If the process went all the way to the top and they said, sure, let's float a balloon that everyone will be able to see uh, right over the continental United States, uh, that causes uh, some concern, uh, given the very provocative and blatant nature of this. So he was wondering, what's the chain of command there? Do they want to do this? Do they want to blow up the meeting with the Secretary of State? Do they want to be seen? These are the questions that even you guys have. Yeah, my response, and I agree as usual with my friend and shipmate, uh, David Petraeus. Um, first of all, I'm not a big believer in coincidences when it comes to big geopolitical events. So here's my theory of the case. The U.S., uh, concludes a basing agreement with the Philippines that will put U.S. troops, aircraft, sensors, 
200 miles from Taiwan. Number two, the U.S. stands up, commissions the first new Marine Corps base uh, in 70 years. That's in Guam, a place called Camp Blaze. That provides the forces that could flow forward. U.S. Marines have a pretty strong reputation, shall we say, in the Pacific. I think that's number two. And number three, new Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy, is talking, I think quite appropriately, about taking a trip to Taiwan. So there's real displeasure in Beijing. And again, I don't think it's a coincidence. I think that this is a deliberate action. Now, I don't know that. I'm not sure anybody on the Western side of the equation does because their processes are very opaque. But that would be my guess. So having said everything you said. Brian, Brian, let me add one other point that's important here. Many, many times when I was a combatant commander for four years as Supreme Allied Commander and before that three years uh, in Latin America and the Caribbean, whenever there was a very high-level U.S. visit, say the president was going somewhere or the secretary of defense, we would step back from significant uh, clandestine intelligence gathering for exactly those kind of reasons. That's another reason I think this almost had to be a deliberate action. And they want their stuff back. Forget it. Uh, (laughs) uh, Yeah, here's what President Biden said yesterday to Telemundo Nocius. He's not going to speak to Fox on Sunday, but he'll talk to (laughs) Telemundo Nocius uh, in Spanish. Cut one. It's not a major breach. I mean, look, it's totally it's a violation of international law. It's our airspace. And once it comes in our space, we can do what we want with it. So. Is he just is he downplaying that or is he accurately portraying that? Uh, you'd have to ask him that question. Um, is it accurate, my though? Per, in my perspective, this is a big deal. It is clearly a violation of international airspace. It is clearly illegal under international law. The minute that thing comes, by the way, not even over U.S. land, but when it comes over our exclusive economic zone, our contiguous zone, and then our territorial seas. It's under our control. We can do what we want with it, and it is a big deal. Uh, thank you. Uh, I, think, I think it is a big deal. The other thing that I find disturbing is, oh, yeah, we didn't really know about this. It breached it four years ago. And, by the way, there's a fleet going around the world. Excuse me? You didn't know about it? it we, we just recovery realizing it, and there's a fleet? You can't have it both ways. Yeah, the uh, commander of U.S. Northern Command, who is and ought to be on the hot seat for this, referred to this as a domain awareness gap, which I think (laughs) Pentagon speak Pentagon speak for we we screwed this up, boss, Um, and and we ought to we ought to simply realize that, and you know things are going to surprise us in the world, and we're going to learn new things as. Our opponents take measures. Um, This is not some kind of egregious fire-everybody failure, but it is a moment to say, okay, uh, we got caught, and let's do better. All right, Admiral, final thought about the game Sunday. Who who do you want to prevail? Who will prevail? Well, I've got to go with the Eagles. Uh, my family, uh, my parents grew up in Allentown, Pennsylvania, and so um, we've got a ton of Eagle fans, and uh, all I want is a great game, but I'm hoping for the Eagles. 
Go get him, Admiral. Always love having you on. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Brian. Talk soon. Bye. All right. I just can't root for the Eagles. It's just not in me. Uh, but I will say that Jacksonville, where the Admiral spends a lot of his time, the Jaguars, very upbeat about their prospects for next year. They really feel that they could be here. We'll see. All right, you listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. We're on the road in beautiful Glendale, Arizona. Brett Michaels joins me and then Tony Dungy. Don't move. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, it's Clay Travis. Join me for Outkick the Show as we dive deep into a mix of topics. New episodes available Monday to Friday on your favorite podcast platform and watch directly on outkick.com forward slash watch. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everyone. We're here at Super Bowl 57 outside, oh, Glendale, Arizona, outside the State Farm Stadium, uh, a stadium that Brett Michaels just played. Uh, Brett Michaels is doing everything he can to promote the game, promote your brand-new album that's out. Thank you. But first off, your connection to this stadium, Brett. It's unbelievable. So this summer... We just played here uh, out on the stadium tour. I was just here. Uh, we come back here to the amphitheater, and for 15 years, uh, I had a ranch, have a ranch here in Arizona, and I love it. And I thank everyone in Phoenix because uh, years ago, when I had the subarachnoid brain hemorrhage, they saved my life. And sports and music combined have been therapeutic to me. And to be here at this stadium, I'm fired up. I was laughing earlier. I said to me, the Super Bowl, it's like Christmas with cleats. Right, it's, yeah, like it's a great line. Old school, it's like Christmas and cleats. You but know? you're an athlete, right? You you played football, played almost every position. You played quarterback, running back, defensive line, right? All of it. And I still, to this day, you would laugh if you, anyone who's ever followed our tour here walking in, uh, a bunch of the really awesome security up here, I played football with half of them, not only here, I threw baseball with Joan Jett in that stadium a couple months ago. And then, this is no lie, the girls from USANA up in Salt Lake, she goes, Brett, we played football for an hour. She goes, we were throwing football, and then you had to go up and sound check. And she goes, you had half our staff up there. And I just, for me, like I said, I truly passionately love the game. You know, you don't, you know I see a lot of country music stars who are athletic. They're right. very fit. But, you know, in the 70s, 80s, I didn't look at rock and roll guys and say, wow, these guys are fit. That's a new thing, right? I mean, <laughs> I that's kind so. of a new thing. You guys got into shape now. It's no more music, drugs, and, right. uh, and everything. It seems like you guys have totally turned the page on that. How about if we marry both of them? Can we do that? The party and the in-shapeness. So you, yes. Shapeness. So tell me about back in the day. It's a, you say it's a truly modern-day throwback uh, feel-good trip anthem. And I saw the video. It shows you as a kid. Right. So here it is. Back in the day, they can check out this brand new video. I threw it back to the early MTV days with the green screen and tons of footage 
of archive footage. So there's moving footage of me playing, you know, playing guitar. So what I did is from then, I took all these images of then. So I'm playing guitar at three or four years old, strumming it by the Christmas tree. And then the next thing is, uh, is the photo of me here at the stadium on stage, uh, strumming a guitar in front of whatever, 70,000 fans. And mixed everything in between, riding dirt bikes, football, baseball, hockey, loved hockey. You know what I mean? All, all of it. You know, so, so that's what back in the day is all about. But it's been voted the feel good song of 23. And I wrote it as a road trip anthem. All of us then or now. I take my daughters. Right. Just the other day, there's an amazing picture we put up uh, on my site of me and my daughters out at the beach. I said, turn everything off, the phones, everything. Just just crank up music. I said, no, we're not going to text nobody, not right. going to reach out. Let's just take a road trip up the PCH or up A1A, and let's just find our beach and have a great time. Do your daughters have your musical ability? I know. I think you really are born with that. I don't think you right. acquire it. I mean, I used to be able to play the notes, but my dad was in a band, and he could have went to Juilliard. He had a jazz. My brother was like that, but I played the notes, but I didn't have it. Right. You, do they? Do your daughters have it? They do have it, and I've been blessed for this reason. They both, besides being, you know, Rain and Georgia are great kids, but they, Georgia, on my last uh, single, it's called Unbroken. It's an inspirational song about going through a lot of adversity and coming out as a warrior and having that warrior fighting spirit. And Georgia was going through a tough time in her life at that moment. And we sat down and wrote this song. And then Rain and I did the same thing. And now my oldest daughter, Rain, uh, is doing on-field common commentary, you know, on-field reporting uh, for a lot of sports. And she's down in San Diego doing the NLL right now. Oh, that's fantastic. Yep. Uh, awesome. And finally, how are you doing? You were describing your brain hemorrhage where your head just dropped and you were right. still able. You're having a brain hemorrhage, your brain's bleeding, right. and you were still able to get up and alert your family and get you to the hospital. I can't get my head around that. So it's, it's really, here's exactly what I remember. On the couch, watching MLB baseball, right, and my brain exploded. I don't know what any of this was then, so all it felt like is like someone had either shot me in the head, uh, an elephant stepped on my head. This is the exact feeling I have. Um, and I knew something was wrong, but it wasn't until I stood up. I have an incredible survival drive, and that's from being diabetic since I've been six. All right, in many situations, you know what I mean? Being in places where my blood sugar's low, I kick into survival mode. And I didn't know what it was. I had no clue what had happened to me. Uh, but then when I looked in the mirror, I'd also had a TIA, which is a stroke. And I could see my mouth and face drooping. Uh, and then the last thing I remember is we were headed to the hospital. I woke up Christy and the kids. I said, we need to go now. And that was it. And a lot of people, when they talk about a brain hemorrhage, a subarachnoid brain hemorrhage, it, it, it's brain bleed. So the quicker you get to the hospital, yeah. and, and trust me, I've learned all this. Uh, life is time. Brain is time and bleed. And they got in there here in uh, in Arizona at Barrows, St. Joseph Barrows, and they saved my life. Wow. And and you yeah. look fantastic. You, like you can you. run a marathon, man. I feel, I'm trying. I you, said if I get a chance to survive, if I get this chance to keep on rocking. Great. Pick up back in the day. All right. Here we go. Okay. Got it. So here, I love you, brother. Pick go get him. Brett Michaels. Tony Dungy's next. You like him, right? I love Tony. Yeah, he's coming up next. He's a former stiller. Right, absolutely. (laughs) Hey, State Farm Stadium's where we're at. Come find us. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. 
Well, we were able to go to NFL Honors last night, and of course, at night, I was at the pregame show. The actual game, we have the MVP, Patrick Mahomes, surprise to very few. Uh, we also have Coach of the Year, Brian Dable of the New York Giants. If you told me that in the beginning of the year, uh, everyone had hopes but uh, as a Giant fan, but nobody thought they were going to turn around, make the playoffs, let alone win a game. With me right now is a guy that's gone from uh, player to coach. Oh, by the way, stepped into the Hall of Fame and then said, let me try broadcasting. <laughs> And has been surging ever since. Uh, Tony Dungy, Coach, welcome welcome back to the show. Thanks hey, so much for being thank here. Thank you, Brian. It's always great to be with you. You know what I love? I feel like it's back. I mean, we want to turn the page on the pandemic. But when the Super Bowl came even last year, it wasn't the same. And then two years ago, there was no fans, yeah. period. Actually, I had Tampa playing at home, and you couldn't even tell they were at home. And now I feel like it's back. This place is the fourth Super Bowl they're holding it. What do you sense is walking around town? It is different. Uh, last year we broadcast the game for NBC. You kind of felt like it was back, but uh, it still wasn't all the way there. I came in last night. There must have been 10,000 people at the airport at 10 o'clock. Oh, yeah. You know, and it's crowded, and you say, this is the way it used to be. I mean, yeah. Steelers have great fans. I get it. But – Eagles. Eagles, my goodness. <laughs> I'm telling you. And oh, Chiefs, too. Everywhere. I mean, yep. Chiefs a little bit more yeah. docile. They're, yeah. they're great volume, but they're more polite. Yeah. Eagles fans are not polite. Well, they are out there, <laughs> both, both sides, and it's, it's going to be a great atmosphere. It really is. So, uh, for me in particular, I had a chance to talk to the first time Mel Blunt. So you, Mel Blunt you, was the first man I met in the National Football League. Are you kidding? League. I'm coming into Pittsburgh as a free agent. They send me a ticket, get on the plane. This guy meets me out at the airport, says, go down to the William Penn Hotel and check in this? there. This is 1977. And I'm walking around the hotel looking for what's the next thing I'm supposed to do. I see this guy. He looks like he's seven feet tall. He's got cowboy he's boots, cowboy hat on. He shakes my hand. He says, I'm Mel Blunt. I said, if this is professional football, <laughs> this is what cornerbacks look like. I don't know if I can play. But I mean, he's big, he's big, big for he, today. He, oh, he can I mean, play yeah. right now. 6'5", just looks like he's chiseled out of a mountain. See, we all knew your team. Like, the Giants and uh, Jets in New York weren't making the playoffs for 10 years, 12 years. So when the playoffs started, it was like a brand new, uh, it was a brand new season. So you watch the, the Vikings every year, and you watch the Steelers, yeah. you watch the Raiders, and everybody knew your whole team. Because number one, no free agents, nobody yeah. moved. Yeah. I'm surprised at, I look at Lambert. He was like 210, 220. You know, Jack Ham looked like 210, 220. Would that transfer today's game? It, it would. It would. Those guys would have been great players in this game. Guys are bigger now. Um, you know, the weightlifting. And Alan Page was 220 yeah. as a defensive no, lineman. It, yeah, there were guys who were, were smaller. Uh, but I'm telling you, those guys would have translated over uh, in, in this era just as well. We had, uh, I got there, and I was the same way as you, Brian. I'm watching high school. I'm seeing Franco Harris and Immaculate Reception, and then five years later, here I'm in training camp, and it's all these Hall of Famers that are going to go in the Hall of Fame. Lynn Swan, John Stallworth, Terry Bradshaw, Franco Harris, Mel Blunt, Joe Green, on and on and on and on. And I said, boy, if I make this team, I got a good chance. We're going to win because these guys are great, boy. And you did, but Chuck Knowles saw a coach in you too, right? Yeah, he really did. He called me. uh, I played there two years, and then I got traded to the 49ers, played a year for Bill Walsh, and it was fantastic. Uh, But then uh, I got traded again, cut. Now I'm just kind of that guy who's done at 25 years old. 
Um, and Coach Noel called me, and he said, I, I love the way you approach the game. You've got great communication skills. I think you could be a good coach if you're interested. And he hired me as a 25-year-old with no experience. And I think the first time I remember hearing about you, about 34, and people were like, you got to look at this guy in Pittsburgh. This guy could be a head coach. And it was years after. You had to wait a long time. How many interviews before you got the job? I actually Tampa? only had four or five interviews. Uh, but I, That's the problem, too. <laughs> I uh, became the defensive coordinator at 28, and uh, Coach Noel, you know, trained me. And I, I saw, you know, work for him, uh, work for the best in the business, and then uh, went to Kansas City, worked three years for Marty Schottenheimer. Then I worked four more years for Denny Green. So I had been around some really, really good people and uh, finally got the job in Tampa. So when back in those days, were you the Bud Grant type that when the season ends, I go hunting, I'll see you when the season starts? Or were you someone sleeping in the office? No, I wasn't a sleep-in-the-office guy. Coach Noel, the, my very first meeting with the Steelers as a rookie, Coach Noel said, welcome to the National Football League. You're now getting paid to play football. So that makes it your profession. But don't make football your life. That was his first words to us. That's so interesting. And I was expecting just the opposite. Man, these guys have won Super Bowls. He's going to tell me you've got to be more dedicated. You've got to pour into it. He said, do not make football your life. You have to find a purpose away from the field. And he lived that out for us. And when I worked for him for 10 years as an assistant coach, hey, we're going to work hard. We're going to get it done. But we're going to have family life. We're going to do things the right way. You're going to be a part of the community. And I saw him do it and do it successfully. So when I went to Tampa as the head coach, we had family Saturdays, just like we had in uh, Pittsburgh, where you bring your kids to practice, and that's just the way you do things. And I went to Indianapolis, and I said, hey, kids are going to be in the building. They had never had kids in the building before. Uh, so, no, I was not one of those who lived and died and breathed and stayed in the office. I thought after the pandemic when so many coaches were told to go home and, like, deconflict and do the draft from your house and you don't have to go to work, I thought that that might be a recalibration on maybe we want to redo how we, how we uh, siphon out work. Well, you have to have a little courage to do that because everybody's going to look and say, oh, you're not there 24-7, and if you don't win – then that's going to be the reason. You're not dedicated enough. And I heard that a little bit the first part of my career in, in Tampa. We're winning, but maybe not winning as much as people think. Oh, if you took it a little more seriously, we'd be better off. And you, you just got to be yourself. Absolutely. So I um, had a chance to talk to uh, Doug Williams last night, as I mentioned on television. And we were talking, and the first thing he said is, uh, the black quarterback, I was a pocket passer, so I was, I was not going to be scrambling. Everyone knew it. <laughs> no one tried to convert me because I was a quarterback, and he went right to Tampa, and he played. And he said, but he wants more black coaches. And I asked him, was it intentional? And he says, no, I don't think it's intentional. It's just we've got to get more coordinators, more coaches. Do you think it's intentional? Because I get to know these owners a little, like, pretty well every year. They don't, I don't think they have a racist cell in their body. It's, it's not intentional. It's just so many of them, Brian, don't really know what it takes, and they don't know people. So um, Commissioner Goodell, he's had me talk to some owners when they're searching and, and trying to find a new coach. And my first question is always, well, what are you looking for? And they'll say, I don't really know, but just tell me who's good. And I have to say, no, wait a minute, you have to tell me what you're looking for first. Do you want a young guy? Do you want an older guy? Do you want a, you know, a player's type of coach? Do you want a disciplinarian? Do you want an offensive guy? Do you want a defensive guy? What kind guy? of roster do you have? You yeah. have an older roster? Yeah. Are you going to suck it up for two or three years yeah. and develop? You know, when I, I went to Pittsburgh, Dan Rooney, he had a, a philosophy. 
hey, we're a cold-weather city, we're a blue-collar city, I want a tough defensive coach, and I'm going to pick a young guy because I don't want to do this every four or five years. He doesn't, man. So He doesn't pick. 53 years, they had three coaches, and they all started in their 30s. They were all defensive coordinators. Uh, Chuck Knoll, Bill Cower, Mike Tomlin, same guys. He had a blueprint of what he was looking for, and that's what I think so many of these owners don't have. So then it becomes, well, somebody's got to tell me who's good or I'll go right. with the, the well-known guys, and that, that's where we're missing out. So this year was about DeMar and the way the whole country rallied around this uh, 24-year-old who this 24-year-old who really died on the field and was brought back to life, and that was a celebration. And it was such a unifying feeling this year. As opposed to a couple of years ago, three years ago, four years ago, we're talking about kneeling, black league, is this a black league, white league? I feel like we've made strides as a country, and so many times we take our lead from sports. Do you? I I saw it happen, and it it amazed me. In 1989-90, I'm an assistant coach with the, the Chiefs. There's some players who want to pray on the field after the game. And they got together with their chaplain and said, let's do this. We got a memo from the National Football League. Don't let that happen. Take your players straight to the locker room. We can't have people praying on the field. And believe it or not, that actually came out. Now, fast forward to DeMar and, hey, we've got to pray. They encouraged people to come together as teams, opposite sides, the whole teams praying before the game. Uh, And it was all based on one incident. We saw a young man's life almost pass away right in front of us, and I think that changed everybody's uh, dynamics. And an ESPN anchor prayed on on the air. On the air. So this is also a year in which Roe v. Wade got overturned, and you made it pretty clear that you thought this is a great day for America, and you're pro-life. Yeah, and I understand if people aren't, and everybody can have their opinion, but for me and my family and my house, that's the way I see it. And I, I think we should be able to say that. And so I did, and I enjoyed it. And it was one of the most uplifting things for me that I've ever been a part of going to that march in Washington for life. And uh, now tomorrow for the NFL, uh, I was talking to the Hunt family. He says, is Tony Dungy coming? We're sticking around because we're going to see him at breakfast tomorrow. What's happening at breakfast tomorrow? There's a, an event called the Super Bowl Breakfast. It's been held for 35 years it's actually an outreach they know a lot of people are coming to the super bowl hey we'll get together come celebrate these two teams that are here but let's tell you what's really important in life share the gospel and we're going to present the man of the year award named after bart Starr, who was a great player two-time mvp of the super bowl but also a great man in his community and so kirk cousins will be honored tomorrow uh but it, it really is an event to bring people together and say there's something, as Coach Knoll said, a little bit more important than just the game. And I've met Kirk Cousins, and I remember his rookie year or his second year when he's backing up uh, RG3. And everyone's like, this guy's a really good player. Keep an eye on him. He ends up being the quarterback of the Redskins and now what he's doing in Minnesota. But always a very religious man. Very uh, strong Christian man. He does a lot in the community. This award is voted on by the players, and it's voted on not who's the best player in the league, but who's doing the most in their community that year. And uh, they voted for Kirk Cousins, and uh, deservedly so. All right, we're going to take a short time out and come back with more Coach Dungy. Listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show in Glendale, Arizona. Don't move. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. 
From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Coach Tony Dungy's with us now, Pro Football Hall of Famer, obviously, for the for the uh, Bucks and Indianapolis Colts. And um, he's uh, here because, you know, the Super Bowl's here, broadcaster, I get it. But also, there's a new campaign out there that we've heard a lot of, we've seen a lot on television. In fact, I talked to uh, Steve Largent about it a couple of days ago, and you're part of it. Hashtag, he gets us. Yeah, it's really a campaign just letting people know that Jesus is for everybody. And he's there, and he gets us. And, and so it's been neat to be involved with people like Steve. Steve Largent was a role model of mine when I was a young player, a strong Christian man, but a great player. And I saw, boy, you can do both. And, and so that's what this is kind of all about. You can use Jesus and be involved with him in whatever area of life you walk. So where did that religious fervor come from, especially when you lose your son? A lot of people would question, uh, you know, question their religion. You, From what I've observed, it seems that you're more spiritual than ever. Well, for me, it came from my parents and a, a great background coming up. But then when I got to the Steelers as a rookie, 21-year-old, um, there were about 15 guys on the team that were just strong, solid Christians. I ended up being roommates with Donnie Shell, who... Uh, just taught me how to be a man and taught me that there's more to life than just, just this sport. So uh, I think I owe it to my Steeler teammates. They, they're the ones that kind of grounded me. While winning and being the toughest, <laughs> meanest yeah. football team, yeah. this fearsome group was also had this soft side. Just strong, strong uh, inner character, and that, that's what people didn't see. And I, I didn't see it. I got there, and I'm thinking, just like you, steel curtain, tough guys, bad guys, great football players. But it was more than that. I mean, great family men, community service, uh, just showing you what life was all about. So you had a chance to coach Peyton Manning. I did. Uh, How much of his success was due to raw skill, and how much was it raw passion for the game? He was very talented, obviously, but the most dedicated player I've ever been around. Uh, 100% trying to be the best that he could be, leave no stone unturned, help his teammates, uh, be a leader for everybody. Um, he he just was the the best practice player, hardest worker, most prepared guy, and that that's why he was good. I'll give you a story, Brian. My last year coaching, we've already won a Super Bowl. He's been a three-time MVP. We draft a young receiver from Ohio State, Anthony Gonzalez, because of Ohio State's class schedule. He can't come in May and June with us because he's still in school. Peyton, on his own, drove two days a week from Indianapolis, drove his car to Ohio State's campus, took the playbook, went over with Anthony, threw balls for an hour, and then drove back eight hours twice a week to help a young rookie receiver. And now we hear Arch Manning is going to (laughs) Texas, and now I'm watching his son throw the ball on the field. I mean, what's going on with that family? Peyton told me Arch is going to be the best quarterback of all the Mannings. Yes, this young Peyton's nephew and he's better than Eli, better than Peyton at that year, better than Archie. <laughs> so, wow. But and Archie's so different from both his sons, right? Yeah. Remember, Archie yeah. was a run. You played with Athletic. Him. He was yeah. run first guy, yeah. him and Tarkington with he, these scramblers. Super athletic. Uh, but I'll tell you what they took from Archie, Peyton and Eli, that competitive spirit, that drive, and that determination, and just being good people. I, I listened to him call into Tom Brady's podcast with Jim Gray. And they just talked about the rivalry and respect they had for each other. Is that real? It is. People think that 
you know, they hated each other and, you know, all of that. The most respect for each other, always talked off the field. Peyton would come in, hey, I talked to Tom. They did this against this team. and We ought to try it. I mean, they, they had that type of relationship where they – they really respected each other. But Peyton Manning coming out of college, everyone knew he was going to be great, which is how great. Him or Ryan Leaf. Uh, and I know Ryan Leaf didn't pan out. But nobody thought Brady was going to be great. I've never seen anybody be so great and be so underappreciated coming out. Can you, did you, can you wrap your head around it with all the talent you've evaluated? Yeah, you know, he split time in college, with wasn't Greasy a full-time and starter. Yeah, and so you didn't get to see everything. They played in a running conference and a running Big Ten at that time. And I don't think people, and he's another one, the, the preparation, the, the work ethic, the determination, competitiveness, that's what's hard to measure, and that's what people didn't see until he got to New England. Well, obviously, yeah, and then he hit the right coach at the right yep. time, and there's obviously more respect there. Looking at these two guys, I get the sense that Hurts and Mahomes could have the same thing. Very similar. Very similar guys who are very determined. They've got great coaches. They've got good systems, but uh, they have a passion for the game. And they want to win, and it rubs off on their teammates. When Hertz was told to sit at Alabama after starting, and then he sits and then goes to Oklahoma, that's character. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't complain, finalist didn't, for the- didn't say, hey, you know, I got screwed. No, hey, I'll go somewhere else, and I'll show you what I can do. Oh, So, Coach, finally, hashtag he, uh, he gets us. And the other big message that you're taking away from uh, tomorrow's breakfast, the Bart Star Award? Is that there's more to life than football. Super Bowl is a great experience, but it's not the most important thing. Uh, come to the breakfast and find out what's the most important thing in You life. enjoying the broadcasting? Loving it. NBC's been great. Wow. Too good we can't get you at Fox. I'm going to see what I can do. <laughs> I'll represent you. We'll see more of Tony Dungeon. Coach, always great talking Thank to you. you. Brian. It's good a privilege. to be with you. Brian Kilmeade Show, live from Super Bowl 57. From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. platform and putting so many amazing people around me to help support this dream I've had since I was a little kid. Without him, none of this would even be possible. To my wife, Brittany, my baby girl, Sterling, and my son, Bronze. This crazy life that we are living means nothing without y'all, keeping me balanced and making me appreciate every single day. No matter how I feel coming home, y'all bring me joy and make me appreciate the time that I get to spend with y'all. Thank you for always being there for me through my good times and my bad. Love y'all. You, you just heard the MVP of the league, and word is he did not know he was going to be MVP, but the Chiefs uh, management got, got the word that they were setting up something to do a remote. That should have been a clue. The NFL honors featuring Patrick Mahomes as the MVP. They had comeback player of the year. They had uh, coach of the year in Brian Dable. It was a big day. Uh, with me right now is uh, Anthony Munoz and Michael Crawford. Uh, both these guys have a lot to do with the success of football we're at right now. This is, by the way, last night for the NFL honors was pretty much the Oscars for football players and especially the NFL. But before we get started, let's go to the big three. 
Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. In Arizona, previewing Super Bowl 25 for me, 57 for the country. I think I'm more important. Highlights from last night's fun and the red carpet encounters. Number two. Here we go. Weaponization of the government hearings. Emotion ran high. Did you see this yesterday? And a whistleblower from the FBI cried. We'll discuss it. Number one. More than a balloon, let's try a fleet. That's how Intel describes the surveillance ship China sent across our country. But the president says no big deal. I tend to think differently. With me right now is Anthony Munoz. He's a slightly taller than me, Hall of Fame offensive tackle with the Cincinnati Bengals for 13 years. And Michael Crawford, CEO of the Hall of Fame Village. Welcome to both of you guys. Thanks. It's Thanks, great Brian. to see you. Uh, I know Canton, Ohio was with the, the Fox Zones part of the USFL. Absolutely. And that's where they had their championship game. It was kind of cool. It was great. We had them last year, sold out the stadium. Now this year we're playing regular season games, and the championship is coming back. Yeah, you so have one of the hubs there. That's yeah, fantastic. One of the four. Anthony, when you were playing, the USFL was like competing for the top-level <laughs> guys, right? They had Jim Kelly and Steve Young and Doug Flutie and Herschel Walker. I was with- under contract. I, it, but you believe looked at it. Right? I, looked, I looked at it and I said, man, these guys are going to USFL. Yeah. Uh, I got a couple years on my contract left, so I, I couldn't do it. Right, you couldn't, yeah. but you did make the Super Bowl. You did twice. Twice, 16 and 23, Pontiac, Michigan, first cold, I mean, cold Super Bowl, but, and then we played but you Miami. you had the top on. I mean, you had a dome. Yeah, but, I mean, you're in the city for a week. What can you do? <laughs> I mean, the roads are frozen. You have a rental car. Can't do anything. Minneapolis, probably a good thing. Uh, Minneapolis <laughs> was another. New York did another. Hopefully, you got that out of our system. Hopefully. I say, you know, it should be all south. You know, Arizona, Florida, California, and just keep it at that. So the numbers are staggering. Uh, It looks like these numbers, even from media members to people in the city, already on a Friday exceed 2019. Do you feel like the game's back? I do. I really do. You can just feel the excitement. You can feel the intensity of the fan base and the fans. Not necessarily Eagles or Chiefs fans, but people just ascend on the city because there's so much going on, and I really believe it's back. I do, too. Football is America's sport. So many events all around it. This is phenomenal. Phoenix is going to do a great job. You know what's so interesting is, you know, a couple years ago we are talking about kneeling. We are talking about uh, a pre-national anthem and who's coming out and we should not bother and – and we're talking about slogans and, and uh, messages on the back of helmets. But m- I think, in a way, we've grown from that. And number two, it was about DeMar. When you see him go down and everybody unite, non-football fans concerned about him. He appeared last night on, yeah, on yeah, NFL right. Honors. Do you feel like we made progress, Anthony? Not I only do. the league as a country or no? I do. I do, especially with the sport uh, of football. You know, I was at that game where DeMar went down. And uh, I have to say, I'm really proud of the Cincinnati fans. I mean, it's been very easy for fans because so, you know, into their own team. But the way they reacted, the way our medical community has responded, uh, and to see the Cincinnati medical community here at the honors uh, uh, yeah. show last night. Was Everybody amazing. was there. Yeah, was exactly. Impressive. But I, I think we have come a long way. Uh, in terms of race, race awareness and coming together? I do. For me, you know, it was one of those things, a man of color, you know, growing up, it, to me, it, it was time to move forward because there was enough of that for me and it was like okay now it's like love one another accept one another and let's stop the you know the other stuff was it always like that in the locker room you know it was pretty good I mean you know when I was playing it's interesting being a you know Latino Hispanic guy we had two 300 pound Hispanics on our offensive line 
And I thought it was always pretty good because you come from different socioeconomic backgrounds. It doesn't matter where you come from. And I think the hall has a great video called The Huddle. Yeah. And it talks about yeah. that same thing. You come together for the same common goal. And we're not thinking about what your beliefs are. Although we discuss those things in the locker room and we're together, it's still about coming together and working together the way we should in the community. Uh, what about at the NFL? It is really about football, not just the National Football League, right? It's oh, football. absolutely. Yeah, I think Roger and the team are doing a good job. I think they're focused on the right things. Look, the country's got to keep progressing, but as Anthony says, I think there's been a lot of strides taken forward to do what is best for the game, and diversity is a big part of it. The NFL honors. I was there the first year. It was kind of it was interesting, and then it got a little bit better, and people were having fun, and then you had great comedians like Steve Harvey. But last night we watched a bunch of players get up and sing. Whose yeah. idea was that? Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Kelly did a great job last night, though. Yeah. First female host. She did. She yeah. killed it, I thought. She yeah, I mean, she's a talk show host as well as a singer. Came out of nowhere, American talent. Idol. Yeah. But I think there is a real uh, – there's a cross-section between two things, military – and there's a cross-section with entertainment. But with the military connection, can you talk about that? I can. Military has a, a tremendous part in my heart. Yesterday, there was a group of Hall of Famers. We were at uh, Luke Air Force Base. We went to a VA hospital. And I do a lot, you know, and I know a lot of people, a lot of guys do a lot of uh, events for the vets. Uh, one of them up in Canton. Yeah. You know, a good friend yeah. of ours, uh, Ziggler. Ziggy, he's a long-drive competitor, has a golf tournament for Navy SEALs. I went last year, took one of my buddies who's on my board, retired Navy SEAL. There was like 50 Navy SEALs playing in this golf tournament. It's a great event. Think about, playing, think about that. I felt really safe at this yeah. golf tournament. Uh, absolutely. But it is. I mean, to be able to, to have the cross with the NFL and the vets and the, the military, I think it's great. And the USAA is here, right? That's right. They play a role with the, in the Hall of Fame? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I mean, all the time we're talking about how do we do better for vets? How do we create an opportunity for them to be a part of the game? And they're such, they're such a special group, and they love football. And so it's something that we focus on. So one of the things that happened last night was uh, Coach of the Year, uh, Brian Dable, who would have thought the Giants were even going to be 500, yeah. let alone win a playoff game? Before, he didn't know he was going to win, so he says. So I asked him, in theory, what do you think about the year? Cut 26. A year ago today, if I told you you're going to be walking down the red carpet, uh, coach of the year uh, worthy, what would you have said to me? Yeah, that's a long way away, I would say. Um, you know, just appreciative of the people that I get to work to, with in our building, the players. Really, the players are the reason I'm here, so much appreciation for them. That first play to go for two instead of kicking the extra point in retrospect how much did that set the table for the success you had well obviously it was a big play it gave us some momentum i think the players bought in a little bit more but again that was a, a mutual decision between myself some of the analytics guys and then ultimately the players of you know we're going to go for it so do you remember that play <laughs> i do but quick real quick a story i saw coach in the hotel and we we're talking and he's like i don't know how to act he said, I've been a coach at the Super Bowl five times, and he's got five rings. He goes, I'm here for an awards banquet. He can say now he's 6-0. and That is awesome. But did you get the – do you know him? Did you know him? You know, we, we met uh, him up in uh, – we've been visiting the owners, and uh, he was there. We went up to see the Maras up in New York. And he sat down, and we were having lunch, and he sat – I mean, it was almost like we had known him for years. So I've seen him, and it was like – a friend that I hadn't seen in a while. So, yeah, he's a very personable guy. Michael, you see a lot of people. He reminds me of Parcells. Oh, yeah. I mean, he does. Yeah. He gets in your face. Yeah. I saw him scream. I was at the Jacksonville game. Saquon didn't run out of bounds. He had, a, he had over 100 yards twice. And he dressed him down like he was some free agent walk-on. I think that is a part of the game that, you know, you got to balance 
that that carrot and that stick, but these guys are doing a better job at getting that coaching, and the and the kids are accepting it. What's your need it. what's the Hall of Fame's presence here? Are you guys at the NFL? Well, of course, we announced the class last night. You know, and the we are launching a new movie a documentary on Fox Saturday night, Perfect Ten, depicting the ten guys who've won a Heisman Trophy and also been inducted into the Hall of Fame. But we have a lot of sponsors, a lot of partners. We do a lot of things out here to support. Who the made Hall. the cut last night? Who made the cut? Oh, all the guys. I mean, Joe Thomas, Zach Thomas, uh, Demar. Yeah, not Demar. Uh, he was being celebrated, but a right. lot of fantastic. The class, Ware, yeah. Demarcus Ware. And then the I finally have fantastic. company. We got to say, I have you, company. Yeah, you got your hall. second. You got your Kenny second Riley. guy, Kenny. Oh, okay. He passed a couple years ago. Yeah. But, uh, his son was there to accept as I announced. Kenny Riley now a member of the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Which makes two Bengals now. That's it. You got I a Bengals know. and a Browns guy. So Ohio's loving it last night. What about Booby Clark? He didn't get in. Booby hasn't gotten in, no. So Joe Klecko, he finally got in Joe as well. Joe Klecko, and I, I kept saying Joe. every year because I played against Joe Klecko. Yeah. Ooh, the strongest guy I ever he's, played against. He's fantastic. Yeah. He played in a three-man front a lot of times, too, well, as the actually, nose guard? No, he well, he all-pro nose guard, all-pro DT, all-pro defensive end, but he was a member of the New York Sack Exchange. Gasino, Marty Lyons, Abdul Salam, and Joe Klecko. Yeah. They right. brought it. They brought it. They did, yeah. and they did it for a lot of years. But without a championship, it doesn't really stand out. Never got to a Super Bowl. It it, right. it took a while. But you said you played against him. Probably one of the best. My, I put him in the top five guys that I played against in my yeah. thirteen years. Did you line up directly against him? Sometimes? Direct. He was right there. I couldn't avoid. Him. <laughs> did you like him? A great guy, but I didn't like him on the field. Right, right, right. <laughs> Absolutely. That's so interesting. Dude, what did you think of Gastineau? See, Gastineau was on the other side. Um, Gastineau got all the notoriety and all the publicity. But Klecko was a guy that really was the glue of that defensive line. Wow, it's going to be special when he goes in. going to see who actually uh, donates and and gets involved. I want you to hear this one lawmaker in New York that wants to do something kind of interesting, and that's stop tackle football. His name is Mike DiBenedetto, and here he is, cut 27. While the Super Bowl is an awful lot of fun, it's not fun when you see – Young children run around, play a game that they are hitting their heads dozens, hundred times a week. Brains that are rapidly developing. Why are we putting children at risk for injuring their brains? Anthony, you want to take that on? I do. I mean, I'm all for it. I got nine grandkids, five Five boys, they all play tackle football. How hard can you hit each other from 7 to 10 years old? I mean, I think once you get into high school, then football's not for everyone, and, I, and we all realize that. But uh, if I'm not big on the stats, and I can't, I'm not, act, but I've heard that youth soccer has more head injuries That's than youth football. Say. Yeah. And lower extremity injuries. So I think it's a great learning tool for young men. And uh, I have no problem with it. Yeah, I mean, coaching tools, how to do it. Yeah. You don't hit with your head. You pick right. your head up. Exactly. Those, those are the type of techniques yeah. you teach. Yeah, right. Exactly. Have, have you noticed the pushback has kind of yielded a little besides this? About five years ago, that's all we were talking about. Oh, that's what you were talking about. Look, I think the NFL's done a great job. The equipment is getting better. It can continue to get better. The rules committee is protecting players a little bit better. Teaching, coaching, everything right. that has to happen, everybody's focused on it. But as Anthony said, you can get concussion. My daughter played tennis. She got concu- two concussions right. playing tennis. Yeah, I, I played soccer. We were heading the ball. Like, the balls are like rocks at two, three years old. He explains my yeah. SAT scores because yeah. uh, I played through college. Uh, you did uh, okay. Right. Um, for you, for the, when, when can we see your movie? 
Saturday night, Saturday Fox, night. 8 p.m. Eastern. Okay. And Anthony, a final message here before we have to say goodbye? No, it's always great seeing you. Thanks great for having you. me all the time. And uh, I'm just, uh, you know, my team's out, the Bengals. We lost to the Chiefs, but I'm just rooting Close. for a good game Sunday. Yeah, yeah they'll be back. Yeah, they I mean, will they're be, be back. good for a yeah. long time. All right, guys, thanks so much. When we come back, we're going to be joined by Marshall Falk. And at the bottom of the hour, we're going to talk to Carissa Thompson of the uh, Fox NFL uh, kickoff Sunday. Don't move. It's Brian Kilmeade. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Lastly, Marshall Falk's going to be on tomorrow. What can you tell me about playing with Marshall? Oh, my gosh. Best football player I was ever around. You know, the, the talent and physical ability he had tied with his mental um, you know, skill and acumen was incredible. And that was uh, Kurt Warner. They just did a movie on his life. Obviously played for the Cardinals and got to a Super Bowl here, almost won it. Uh, but he did well, did win one with the Rams, and he did lose one with the Rams. But one thing is pretty consistent. Uh, everyone who comes across Marshall Falk as a player and a person has great things to say, including the people that played with him. With me right now is Marshall Falk, Hall of Fame running back, drafted by the Colts, and then went over and had, had some other, uh, I think, eight more great years with the Rams. Marshall, welcome back. Thanks for having me on, Brian. How's it going, man? It was good to see you this morning with your hoodie. You were a little bit cold, but you played through it. We were cold. <laughs> yeah, I'm still cold. I'm still here. Oh, my but, God, uh, man. But uh, what's the coldest game you ever played in? Do you remember? And w- were you ever wearing anything under your jersey? Uh, yes, I, I always wore something under my jersey when we played indoors. But um, I, I think my second year in the year, second year in the league, with the coach, we played Buffalo. It was like 12, something like that. Um, Do you ever I mean, get used to it? Well, you learn how to play in it. I don't know if you get used to it, but you learn you learn some of the tricks on what to do so your feet don't, don't freeze, putting Vaseline, you know, on your right. feet before you put your socks on. And um, other little things that you do, there's some, some little broth mix that you, right. uh, you, you dive into. So there's some things that you do to – to keep you warm because you, you warm you up. It. Yeah, but then when you go on the sideline, it's like you get cold again. So, um, and then we got lucky because I, I said maybe the year after that they came up with the heated benches because you know that wasn't a thing uh, in the early nineties. Yeah, I remember the Vikings uh, when their stadium no heaters. Period. You 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 were speaking to kids yesterday. The truth about drugs. We speak every day about fentanyl. How it's different and a bigger challenge. We know exactly where it's coming from, and we know it's a lot of times it's one and done. What is your message? Uh, education. Um, it, it, it's, the, it's the root of all evil, evil understanding um, what's going on, what, what it is that you're doing, and, and what you're partaking in. Um, a lot of times, before we even get to the issues that we have with things being laced with fentanyl, it's just the, op- it's the option of trying. You deciding that you're going to try and, and knowing the effects that Let's just say it's not lace. What what the effects just the pure drug is going to have on you? Uh, hopefully that'll deter you away from experimenting. And then the whole fentanyl issue is is, is out of the it, you basically throw it out of the door right there. So uh, Marshall, uh, if people want to go and find out more, they're concerned about their uh, kids. Uh, where they go is um, for a drug free world is drugfreeworld.org uh, drugfreeworld.org slash um, 
MF, right? That's it. That's it. All right. all, it's all free. All the all the content is free. Have all the materials, anything that you want. Um, all we ask is you, you download the information, um, maybe take a course, read up on some stuff that you're curious about. Um, your privacy is kept private, and it's all good. Got it. Real quick, Marshall, what do you think is going to happen on Sunday? You can't see the Eagles losing to Kenya. I, I cannot. I, you know, I've. I've as, as, I mean, listen, Patrick Mahomes is going to be great, and I think Jalen Hurts presents a, 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 something just as close. But uh, but I just think he comes down to the offense and defensive lines, and Philadelphia, they've been, they've been stout They're in both monsters. departments, better than any other teams, yeah. You'd still be playing if they were your line. Marshall, thanks so much. Appreciate it. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. It's true that Barry and I have had success running the football. But if you truly want to define the position, and that deficient that position have to be defined by one guy in one conversation, and it starts and ends with a guy by the name of Jim Brown. Jim broke records like we broke tackles. Yes. He led the league in rushing eight of his nine seasons, and he remains the only man to average 100 yards per game, during his entire career. And it's truly because of his greatness that the NFL has decided to rename the award given to the league lead in Russia. And Barry and I are honored that that award will be given out tonight in honor of Jim Brown. And there's nobody more appropriate than Jim Brown to be named after nine years, retires at uh, 29 years old, goes into acting, uh, extreme success for the next 10 years, um, actually more 15, 20 years. And I had a chance to host a radio show with him for uh, about five and still friends with him today. But they have so much respect, especially Barry Sanders and Jim Brown. They really uh, are on a different level in terms of respect. What he's done uh, since then is is truly amazing. Listen, we'll take some of your calls now, one 408 7669 and we're here at Super Bowl 57. I just figured out it's my 25th Super Bowl. I've covered every one of them that have been in Arizona, and what's so cool about this stadium is they found a way to get grass. They'll close up the top if they have to. You'll get the flyover because the weather should be good, but they'll also have grass on the outside, and they kind of slide it in, and I think that's what more and more teams are going to be looking to do, and MetLife, they just won and evidently got the real cheap uh, turf and I think a lot of guys are getting hurt because of it. Uh, we'll see what happens. I thought this is an interesting thing. They, Charles Falger did a study, and they asked the American voters, what role do you think politics and cultural statements should have in tomorrow's uh, Sunday's game? 84% of American voters say Super Bowl coverage should avoid all political and cultural statements. 84.4% specifically, only 10% said that it should be a part of it. And how classless is it for the President of the United States to not do an interview? I believe we've had a president do an interview with every network uh, carries the game. But President Biden would rather talk to a Spanish station, a Spanish language station, or NPR, PBS, whatever it is, than uh, speak to Shannon Bream or Brett Baer or, or, uh, or Martha McCallum uh, with Fox. So I just think that just shows gutless at 82 years old. What are you afraid of? Answering real questions that really concern the country? Uh, I don't know. You know, if it's UK, something you can't handle, I don't know if you should really have the job. But just to talk about some serious stuff while we're on the topic again, let's talk about what's happening over with the briefing yesterday. 
So a classified briefing was given to members of Congress yesterday and about what's happened with the balloon. Uh, the surveillance uh, ship that was sent over our country that we shot down and we have been unable to take any of the payload out of the ocean. It's still sitting there. I mean, that's where all the, you know, that's where it's going. we're actually going to find out what, what was in it, what they were able to glean from it. And what I find really disturbing is that a lot of this equipment, they had English writing on it, which means it probably came from us. So they're able to take, whether knowingly or unknowingly, are able to take some of our material, and they're able to make these surveillance devices that go spy on us. I mean, that is like us training terrorists to fly a plane, and those terrorists fly them into buildings. There's no difference. And right now, if you heard Admiral Chavitas the first hour, he says if you crack open the Russian munitions, there's American components in there. I mean, we were selling them to him, but I think all that has to stop. It all has to stop from the civilian level, from the corporate level. We have to start pulling our manufacturing out of the country uh, rapidly. And then I think we have to start thinking country first. Yes, red, white, and blue more than green. I'm all for capitalism, but I'm not, uh, but I'm not, uh, but I'm not for doing things that are going to hurt the country. And if you're with Raytheon... If you're with any of these, uh, Facebook or anybody else that allows censorship to take place for American interests to be circumvented so you can make more money, I think those days are done. And when it comes for you putting money into a stock or even if it's with a mutual fund, you have to say, does, does that country, does that company care about this country and what are they buying? When we come back, last night I had the chance to talk to uh, Dave Portnoy at the Barstool Hotel. But while I came in, I pulled him off stage, and then we took a walk. We took a walk to give a sense of what's going on on Super Bowl 57 in uh, beautiful, that was Scottsdale, Arizona. So you're going to have that interview with Dave Portnoy of Barstool. He's truly the voice of the fan, but one thing about him, he really doesn't like the commissioner, who, by the way, really doesn't like him. Got through him, physically threw him out of the, uh, uh, threw him out of the Super Bowl last time he tried to get in. Brian Kilmeade Show, back in a moment. Don't go anywhere. Brian Kilmeade will be right back. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We're coming to you right outside the stadium, State Farm Stadium here in beautiful Glendale, Arizona. It is still about 40 degrees, but last time it was about 70. He's able to go to Barstool Sports Bar. He's got a few of them. Dave Portnoy, the CEO and founder, sitting on stage, was able to get off stage. I said, Dave, let's get away from your element. Let's just walk around. Let's walk around Scottsdale. And here's our and, and talk. Here's our interview. Welcome to Barstool Sports Scottsdale version. The place is mob. Almost everybody's young. We're actually looking for one guy in particular. I'm looking for Dave Portnoy. Nice to see you. You too. Uh, great to see you. The last time I saw you, it was very cold. Those streets were very empty, and we were talking about a pandemic. Yes. Things have changed. Yeah, I mean, it's for the best, right? It's warm out, Super Bowl week, our bar's packed. I feel like uh, 
It's a great time to be alive right now. I feel like you can be around players or you can be with the fans. I feel like you're the fan. Yeah, we're normal people, but we have players too. They, if they want to let their hair down and like go on, you know, we, we just have fun with them. So we'll do both, but we're definitely still a common man vibe. Understand. So what am I what am I seeing here? For people at home watching, what are they missing? So right now we got, I was just doing it, we got a live broadcast in the corner with uh, Big Cat and KFC, two of our guys. This is our own bar, Barstale, Scottsdale. So I think we have now bar in Chicago, here, Philadelphia. This is our third. We're opening them up everywhere. So this is a great spot to be all Super Bowl week. Is this as big as it gets? It's the fourth one in Arizona. People are saying the numbers are bigger and the major difference gambling. Gambling is not something you whisper about. Everyone's talking about it. Yeah, so I can take out my phone right now and put any amount of money I want in the game. I could put, I probably will end up doing like 100 grand on the Chiefs. We'll see how that goes. But everyone's their own. You know, you don't have to go to Vegas. Right. It's right there on your phone. You can do it. So it's beautiful. It makes money for the state and hopefully makes money for the players. So, Dave, let's take a walk and let's see this area. It's very important people behind the velvet ropes and some that have gotten past already. There's nobody important here. <laughs> who, who told you somebody was important? There's nobody. There's nobody. Does he look important? He, he, he looks, looks like a, a slob. There's nobody important. We, we are the place to be if you're a slob. Right. And how would you describe a slob? I mean, look around. They're in sweatshirts. They're dressed comfortably. They're out here probably drinking high noons. Just right. trying to find it. Super Bowl week, there's tons of, like, really expensive parties and, like, big-end talent. We're a place you don't need that. The only thing you got to do is maybe wait in line. Right. Is it fun, or are you still, are you Dave, the man in charge, or is this fun? No, I have fun. I have other people. I mean, look at this. we got two security guards behind us. No, it's all fun. I love Super Bowl week, and uh, it's my favorite part. See that guy yelling, where's Goodell? Now, there's a guy that's not fun, a criminal and a crook, and we know that. You talk about Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, right. that's Commissioner Goodell, one of the worst guys that ever lived. Right, but he does not like you, and you don't like him. I'm, ba I'm banned from all NFL events. They dragged me out of the last Super Bowl Patriots, uh, Rams, and handcuffs. They've thrown me in jail for protesting Deflategate, and he's lied under oath. He's lied in Congress saying he's never heard of Barstool Sports, which is a flat-out lie. And if somebody would actually go down the road of prosecuting him, he'd be where he belongs, in prison. But could you say he's actually doing a good job because the league is flourishing? Listen, the league needs somebody, the owners... That, like a dead dog that you can kick. He, the, the NFL is a monster. It's a beast. It's too big to fail. They just need somebody to take all the heat. He is the most overpaid guy with the least talent in, in anybody in the world. It's what, $40 million a year? Right. So what has he done right? Well, I will say this. I've been described the same way, and I have the same salary. <laughs> Good for you. If you got that salary, you shouldn't be here. You should be, I don't know, buying bottles somewhere. I know. 40 mil a year. So, so Dave, Tom Brady, you know this, is retiring. What has it done for you and your family? How, do you guys, how are you guys dealing with this? Honestly, no joke. Barstool may not be where it is without Brady. We started in Boston. His rise coincided. We became the face of the Patriots fan. You know, I wish him nothing but the best. He's given me so many memories, so much, all of New England, really. And uh, we're lucky to have him as one of ours. He brings all New England together. So I wish him nothing but the best. I'm going to put you in an awkward spot now. Who is more handsome? Is Dave Portnoy or Tom Brady? Uh, you want to think about no, it? No, it's Brady. Listen, I'm a humble guy. Brady's got me. He's got the model looks. That's, and he's, he's got a better one. 
Well, I didn't say that. I have a bad shoulder. If I didn't have a bum shoulder, right. who knows? I may have been a big league. You know, Are you a lefty? I am a lefty. Did not know yeah, that. Bad shoulder. Everyone knows that story. Kept me out of the big leagues. That's it. That's it. That's right. a bad shoulder. No excuse nation, but yes. So Tom Brady retires. The next day he's doing a podcast, and Bill Belichick calls in. Yep. And it dispels a lot of the theories that they didn't get along. Tell me what that did to have Coach Belichick say uh, Tom, you wanted me to treat you like every other player. What do you think? It was a love fest, and I'm hoping it leads to, I know the owner, Bob Kraft, has said they want Brady to retire as a Patriot. I hope that happens, but they're the two best to do it. Like, Brady's the best quarterback of all time, and Belichick's the best coach of all time, so it was good to see it. It, it felt like a reconciliation of sorts, so I was happy to see it. He almost cried. Brady almost cried. Right. Yeah. But he feels like a part of your family, not only... This is that. That's who he is. Yeah. Right? Well, and, and we spent so much time, so many years watching right. him, and like, there's so many memories for New England, Boston people, myself, that are directly tied to his games, his success, and it goes bigger than football. That's the thing about football in America. It's family, it's friends, it's where you right. were. I remember where I was. Tuck rule. I remember where I was. You know, in certain moments, games, the 28-3 in jail sometimes. But it is. It's a part of 20 years of my life, really, with Brady. Very interesting. Uh, and by the way, do you think this is about Barstool, that siren? Probably. <laughs> probably. Cadell caught wind that we're here, and he brings out the goons. Right. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Yeah, no, wherever you follows go. me around. That's definitely Cadell. He's got eyes on me at all times. So in the big picture, some of the things about you is that you do go beyond sports. Barstool is an industry. And of late, do you ever think about how far you've come? Uh, how, like, when it started, handing out newspapers, what you, what you imaged. You had a career going. Yeah, I, I really don't. It's, it's, we're still in it. There's surreal moments, like, being at the Super Bowl, we'll get invited to, like, you know, the parties and things that I couldn't have dreamed. Like, we couldn't, I could have given them all my money. We couldn't get in. Right. So there are surreal moments like that, but we just enjoy the ride. And the thing about Barstool is 20 years, so it's been so gradual. You know, it was never like we woke up and something happened. So it's been a very slow grind. And obviously, things like this, having our own bar, which we never thought we'd have, it's full of people and you know, everyone coming out. Yeah, sure, sometimes you pinch yourself. But overall, just still normal dudes. You know, the thing is, we're getting older, but your crowd isn't. There's still yeah. young guys in there. Well, take, with with yeah. the attraction. Yeah, I don't know. I don't even like to think about the we're getting the older part. So <laughs> it's uh, But it, we have old guys, young guys, everything. And Barstool... It's so far beyond just me, but we have young people working. We have new stars coming out. So we really span generations at this point. So let's talk a little bit about two things. We mentioned before about gambling, but it's really everywhere now. The game's going to be in Las Vegas. What do you think that does for the game? I know you were gambling anyway, yep. but what do you think it does for the game? Some people get worried about it. Yeah, I mean, those people are na naive in my mind because people are gambling with it being legalized or without it being legalized. It's better with safety. Like, we have such stringent member uh, rules that pen with, like, you know, responsible gambling and things like that. You might as well tax it. You might as well make money on it. But you do have to be careful that you don't have anybody doing too much of the extreme stuff. But it's happening anyways. So why not regulate it, make money for it, make sure it's safe as possible. All right, do we have, uh, we have a beginning of a Peyton Manning Tom Brady rivalry. When you look at how young and, and agile Hurts is, and you look at how young and how dynamic Patrick Mahomes is, is this the beginning? I don't think so. I mean, obviously Mahomes has been around for a little bit, but you got so many quarterbacks young. I mean, I, I think more Josh Burrow, uh, Joe Burrow, excuse me, and then you got Josh Allen. The AFC's loaded. You got Mac Jones is an absolute monster. Um, 
I think people are sleeping on him. So there's a lot of rivalries budding. I don't see this hurts yet. Maybe down the road. Right. And the game will play out how? I think the Chiefs find a way to win a very close game. Right. Yeah. Do you realize we've done two long interviews and we're always walking? <laughs> I don't mind the walk and talk. <laughs> become it's a pro good, right? at it. Yeah, yeah, become a pro at it. I like we did a little loop-de-loo there, too. Right, and we didn't acknowledge it. We just no, did it. Just keep up to total professionals. We are natural time. when it comes to walking. Oh, big-time right. pros. Now, scenario. A few days go by. I'm at a Barstool Sports. You're on the inside. I don't have the camera. Am I paying the cover or am I waiting? No, oh, if you can get in touch with me, we're going to sneak you in the back door. Half these people right. probably snuck in anyways. You never know. Right. Because of those are the type of people you attract. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the, we're, the we're, that don't yeah, we're, yeah. We're the outside the velvet rope crowd. So, right. yeah, big time. All right. And for people who got a miss are not part of this, they're saying it's back. This whole thing is back. The Super Bowl's back. America's back. You feel that way? Yeah, I really do. Um, at least with being able to go out, do your own thing. I mean, we are in a horrible place when we first met with the COVID. But, yeah, this is a great city, the warm weather, Super Bowl. It does feel like we're getting, we're totally back to normal now. Are you getting the hell out of New York? Oh, yeah. I've been. Uh, well, I go there in the summer still in the Hamptons, but New York City, long gone. Yes. I'm a Boston guy. I'd like to get back to Boston. What about Florida? They don't uh, take I mean, as I, much as your money. Yeah, well, trust me. I, I just first year, full residency last year in Miami, this year as well. So I do half and half. Right. Yeah, I'm not giving the government the extra money. Down the road, do you ever see yourself at another NFL game? An NFL game? Of course. Of course. If Once the Patriots are back in the mix, I'll be there. You're allowed? Doesn't, I wasn't allowed last time I was there. Right. Yeah. There's always the USFL. <laughs> I'm going to stick with the Patriots. All right. Yeah. Thanks, Dave. Yeah, cool. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for waiting. Appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Dave Hordnoy off the stage uh, into the streets with us. It was great. Uh, Meanwhile, uh, we're back here in Arizona. A couple of minutes, a couple of things to relay to you. 6,000 media members are going to be here, 24 separate countries. That's up uh, major, uh, major league from last year in Los Angeles. It was 5,300, which is an awful lot anyway. And the year before that, there was only 2,400. As everything was scaled down, the fans were told to stay home. There are about 128 outlets on Radio Row this year. That's about average. The big difference is not as much radio, a lot of podcasts. A lot of podcasts, that's a new thing. In terms of betting, we were discussing this. $50 million will be bet. $16 million legally. This state allows legal gambling, so they expect Arizona to have about $30 million gambled uh, here for people in town. Some of the weird things you can actually gamble on. The coin toss, 27 times it's been heads, 29 it's been tails. I'm not sure you have a trend there. I'm pretty sure that's like flipping a coin. The best prop bets ever. The first one, William Refrigerator Perry getting a touchdown in the Super Bowl. There was huge odds on that. Ditka comes out and says he won't carry the ball again. Walter Payton doesn't get a touchdown, but William Refrigerator Perry does as they crush the Patriots with those old-fashioned uh, uniforms. Also, some odd bets. The first odd bet that's uh, transcended sports. One Super Bowl weekend when Jordan was playing in 1990, they had a uh, prop bet. Would Jordan score more points than the 49ers? Jordan scores 39, and you would think that would give him the win. San Francisco beat Denver 55-10. to 10. It's going to be fun. And at halftime, Rihanna's going to be joined by, get this, Drake, Cardi B, Snoop Dogg, Machine Gun Kelly, all going to be out there. I'm sure it'll be loud. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show on the road, Super Bowl 57. Don't go anywhere. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. 
Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. We're not coming to you from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan. We're coming to you from outside State Farm Stadium. Uh, we're we're going to have Super Bowl 57. And I just can't figure out um, who's going to win yet. So i got to wait till Sunday to the very last minute. This hour, I'm going to be joined by Carissa Thompson. She's going to be calling in at the bottom of the hour. She's out doing a bunch of rehearsals. She not only works for Fox, she also works for Amazon doing their football coverage. Uh, and uh, we're going to be talking to Shannon Bream. How do I know that? Because I just fist bumped with her. Reluctantly. A little bit. I didn't do know you what think you were I doing. have germs? What you, do got you, mean? Hand, you got hand sanitizer up in here, don't you? Oh, I do not. I have, ne- <laughs> I have never used hand sanitizer. <laughs> Believe me. Uh, before I get to the host of Fox News Sunday, the anchor, would you prefer? I am not picky about that. Hmm. You I mean, make, you know, t- Chancellor, Chancellor, President of Fox before, News Sunday. <laughs> before I get to the Chancellor of Fox News Sunday, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Sponsored by Crunch Fitness. Interested in owning your own business in a growing $30 billion industry? Check out Crunch Fitness at crunch.com. Number three. Here we go. In Arizona, previewing Super Bowl 57. But the biggest story, it's my 25th Super Bowl. Will Shannon Breen get me anything? We'll have highlight from last night's NFL honors and more. Number two. Weaponization of government hearings. Emotions ran high. A whistleblower, tears flowed. We will discuss. Number one. More than just a balloon. Let's try a fleet of them. That's how Intel describes the surveillance ship China sent across our country, but the president says no big deal. To me, that's unacceptable. Shannon Bream, you're always acceptable. You were up early, early, earlier than me? This Probably morning? not. No one's up earlier than Brian Kilmeade. Good point. So uh, you were doing affiliate. telling everyone you're a host of Fox News Sunday or anchor or chancellor. <laughs> chancellor. Um, can I just thank you for something? Um, uh, I finally know what Super Bowl this is because of you. I don't. Roman numerals never stuck. Like whenever we learn them in elementary or whatever, I can't ever figure out what anything is. This could be Super Bowl 13 for all I know. Right. Do you think at one point. If you were commissioner of the league, we would have left the Roman numerals. In the beginning, they're like, this is not going to last. Let's just make it Super Bowl one. Okay, mm-hmm. there's another one. Super Bowl two. Right. And now to it's me, really of, getting out of control. It is kind of like the metric system. Like, I love when America was like, world, you do what you do. We ain't doing the metrics. Right. We are not doing that. I would have been that okay with us getting rid of the Roman numerals. But now it's too late. Do you think, did the Romans actually use them? That's what I'm told. I wasn't there. I know I'm old, but I'm not that old. Right. No, you're not <laughs> old. Um, so first off, uh, this is going to be your first year hosting Fox News Sunday from the field. Yeah. It's our. It's ours. Have you? Did you ever think about that? Like because you're you're a news anchor. You're doing everything mm. all over the channel. I you got your own show. Did you ever see? Uh, I'll see that show coming from the field and go, that, I would love to do that. First of all, for those who can't see Brian, when he did news anchor, you used air quotes. As if I'm not a news anchor. <laughs> that, that was rude. That was very rude of me. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I never in my life envisioned doing any show ever from the end zone of the Super Bowl. Um, so I love it. I'm super excited. Listen, I am a big sports fan, so I'm, I'm yeah. excited. We're going to have uh, our NFL analyst team on Fox News Sunday. So we've got Howie and Terry and Michael and the coach. And I'm excited about that. I have questions for them. You do? Of course I do. you do. Yeah. No, but you know what's great about your, your questions or not? Bring me inside the numbers. Give me the P, uh, the QBR. You do. You want to know big picture questions? Have you looked at my list? I don't know. Here's one question I might ask. So the guys, because they're clearly listening to Kill Me. So um, this week, Tom Brady did the selfie in the you know underoos, whatever. Like, which of those four you think would most likely follow that? 
And I'm going to let them fight it out and tell me who they think it is. Here's hoping it's not Terry. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> no, it could be. You it know, could who, be any of them. Here's the other thing. And do you have Gronkowski? Because he's been on the desk. The Gronk. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, he's not with us tomorrow. Okay. I mean, on Sunday. He's not going to be with us. He'll but be I've got questions for him, too. Because I remember he did that great thing on New Year's Eve where he took the Steve Harvey Lego head and yes. smashed it like a football. Oh, man. And I've never seen such real anger Uh-oh. from somebody. Steve Harvey. Shannon, <laughs> if I can encourage you to watch anything today. <laughs> you should go back and Google just, that. Just Google it. Listen, one time I met Steve Harvey years and years and years ago, long and before I was back in my lawyer days. And um, he is a very funny guy, but I think he, he also he rightly takes himself seriously. He's a very accomplished dude. I don't know that he would like oh, yeah. the Lego head smashing. <laughs> it was like, you know, how long it took somebody to make that. So yesterday, there was so much going on. I'm trying to watch on the plane. Mm-hmm. I did not want to pay for uh, the Internet, so I paid every but hour. Wait, 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 wait. You're on a private jet. You're not paying for Internet. I'm trying to make myself sound like an everyman. <laughs> you were in coach. Which you were in the last row of the plane. Thank you. Okay. Right by the bathroom. Right. And it was the actually spot. Right. So here's the President of the United States when asked by Telemundo Notius. Not even the number one Telemundo. Is it Nocius? Is it Don't ask me, but all I was hoping is that the interview would be in Spanish. I'm like, please, <laughs> let, the, please <laughs> let the president do this in Espanol. How great Give would us the full be? experience. Right. I, I <laughs> <laughs> Cut one. It's not a major breach. I mean, look, it's totally it's a violation of international law. It's our airspace. And once it comes in our airspace, we can do what we want with it. So not a major breach. Well, after lawmakers come out of their intelligence briefing, not one person, even John Tester, a Democrat, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Lisa Murkowski, clearly mm-hmm. a moderate, mm-hmm. if a Republican, agreed with him. Yeah, I mean, they came the, out the, and were like, we're not taking this seriously enough. Like, this isn't a joke. It's easy to make memes and make fun of it or whatever. But if what we're getting now is this information that it was actually able to collect data as it was going across the entire country, that's not a joke. As the president likes to say, not a joke. That's not a joke. Right, and do you think is that a line that he wants back? Because here's Tom Cotton, cut two. Anytime a Chinese airship enters American airspace, it's a major breach. China sent a balloon to spy on America. The Biden administration had a chance to shoot it down off the coast of Alaska. Chose not to do so, and the balloon, balloon proceeded to spy all across America. Until we actually have the hardware that was on that balloon, we can't say for sure. We can take some educated guesses of it, but you can't know for sure. What I don't understand is they went from not a big deal, mm-hmm. let's watch it for a week, let's shoot it down in the water, to, oh, by the way, there's a fleet of them. They're surveilling the entire world, Central and South America, and they were there a couple of years ago. We just didn't tell that then the then president. Mm-hmm. So, come on, Shannon. I got I mean, a lot of questions. People, yeah, they, they cannot try to, try to put the wool over our eyes. They're not even trying. Well, they just threw the wool in the area. Well, and here's the thing. So... General Keene says, I am convinced that we have the technology. When something leaves mainland China, we know. Like, if it's out in international waters, it's heading this way at all. And listen, he would know. I mean, this is a man of serious uh, accomplishment and, you know, long experience in the, in the military. So the question is, you know, what the Pentagon says is we, we detected it in our airspace January 28th. Now, those things can be true. They could have been tracking it the whole time. It hits U.S. airspace 28th, goes up into Canada, comes back down into Idaho. Now it's back in the U.S., so, the, you know, it's not just cotton. There are other lawmakers saying, why didn't we shoot it before it ever got here? If we know it's out there, um, why not get rid of it then? And to me, the president said he was briefed last Wednesday. My question is, did the military, did the Pentagon tell him before Wednesday? Because they knew about it, what, the previous Saturday. 
So why would Shannon, this information be kept from the president or from the former president? I, I love that question because they never told the former president. They never told mm -hmm. the chief of staff. They never told the secretary of state who was CIA director or mm -hmm. not when he had one of those jobs. They never told the director of national intelligence. So don't blame Trump, but it did it a couple of times. To me, clearly, the president Needs at, to know. at one point could have said, yeah, they told me early we were watching it in Alaska. Mm -hmm. We saw mm -hmm. it come down through Canada, called Justin Trudeau. Mm -hmm. This is what he said. And in Montana, we were on it. No, it wasn't the case. In Montana, I interviewed the guy who looked up, saw right. it, who called the photojournalists at the Montana newspaper. Might want to go take a picture of this thing. And then they, they took pictures. They called NORAD. Mm -hmm. NORAD goes, we'll get back to you. Game on. And then we know about it. So did the president first get briefed that Wednesday yeah. when the guy spotted it over Montana, even though the military and the Pentagon say they knew three or four days prior to that? Admiral I Stav don't know. Admiral Savitas was on me first hour. You were doing affiliate hits, so I don't mm -hmm, blame you for not mm -hmm. listening. But I asked him, I what is better, to shoot something down that you want to recover over land or sea? And he paused, said land. Mm -hmm. That's what I would think. Let me go to a forest as opposed to the bottom of the ocean. And now they still, my case in point, it's been a week. And they still have not fished out any of the payload. The only thing they've gotten is stuff off the surface. Well, but the question is, when I talked to the Pentagon, somebody there last week when this thing, before they blew it up and everything, and he said, it's going to have, what they told us publicly, a 20 by 20, like a, a 400 square mile situation of coming down. What if it hits a school? What if it hits a house? So that question is a different one than what if we just get it out over the Aleutian Islands? You know, like, what if, or what over, you know, that end, the western end, out by Alaska, where you've got a lot less people to deal with. It wasn't until this guy came forward and said, hey, what's that up in the sky? And it ends up in the, you know, Billings Gazette out there. That, is that the first time that they briefed the president? And now we have much more limited options. I feel like we're name dropping in a way that's turning off the audience. But can do I do one clicks? more time? Yeah, let's do it. Senator Daines of uh, Montana mm -hmm. said, there is so much open land. Mm -hmm. That you would not, you would have killed maybe a caribou. <laughs> Nobody was there. But that remember, caribou, was, PETA's not going to have it. Well, then remember it goes through South Dakota? Right. What is more open than Montana? Maybe South or North Dakota. <laughs> so, I mean. On behalf of the caribou, though, I'm here to represent. Right. But, <laughs> but for the senator in Montana. Right, to who say. Who cares about his people. Shoot it down over my state. Shoot it down. I know what's there. Nothing's there. Mm -hmm. This is just it. it it's, it's like if your child is not telling you the truth and you know they're not, and you can't believe the audacity of them repeating the same story, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which does not check out, mm -hmm. I find the whole thing insulting. And what I also thought was interesting, and it's easy to say, well, Senator Congressman Waltz is upset. Uh, Senator uh, Hawley mm -hmm. is upset. Okay, what else is new? They're not going to agree. But when I see John Tester right. go off, and I, didn't, I don't think I pulled that cut, but when I see him go out and say, hey, wait a second, I have a huge problem with this. I think I know it. And the other thing that David Petraeus said, which I find interesting, is did they greenlight this at the highest level? Here's what he said to Neil yesterday, cut 11. This is very serious. And, of course, the fact that there was U.S. technology in, you know, when this stuff gets there, so there's going to be a scrub of what companies are able to buy what types yeah. of devices from the U.S. There will be repercussions in that regard. So, again, if they completely underestimated the reaction of the U.S., again, that is also of concern. So there's lots of issues that here should give us pause in many, many different respects, um, far beyond just, you know, when should we have shot it down and where and, and this kind of thing. 
So that's the other question. Mm -hmm. If our uh, bureaucracy did not tell President Trump and did not act effectively to get to this message to the president was in the Lucia Islands, does China have the same problem? Admiral Stravita says absolutely not. They'd always do this before a big summit, a big meeting. There's no way that, that they're, they're segmented. But I also remember the Wuhan virus. And I think that they were afraid to tell President Xi in the mm -hmm. beginning. And you watch, we got to contain this, we got to contain this. When they finally told him it was out of control. So maybe they do have some of the same issues. From all your experience, what do you think? Well, that's a question, too. In, in There in China, is the military under full control of President Xi? We know that there are things that, the, for Russia, for example, they'll come out and say after some cyber situation, like, Russian government had nothing to do with this. Well, okay, there are other actors within there that often will act, um, you know, you can say that they're not part of the government of Russia, but they act with its blessing. So you have to wonder if the same thing happens in China. Does Xi totally control every single thing that happens there? I can't imagine the military would do something like this and not give his office awareness, but maybe. Right, because if you could say, hey, we're going to put a balloon over there, we're going to taunt them. Mm -hmm. I don't know how they're going to react, but let's see how long it's going to take them to take it out. I'm not sure that do I don't you know. Do that? Is that how you do it with a balloon? Well, and, and, right, especially. And I think they have much more sophisticated surveillance, you know, satellites and that kind of thing. So the balloon's kind of a secondary thing. But Blinken was due over there. And now China will say, like, oh, neither country announced it. It wasn't official. He was going. I mean, come on. So do you want to do that provocation right before he gets there? What's what? I, what's right. the strategy? Um, I'm, I, I'm going to talk football when we come back with Shannon. Also, yes. the weaponization of government. I'm against it. You're for it. What uh, evs? If it, if we're in my government where I'm the chancellor. <laughs> we can weaponize within that. You could do that. But outside that, no. In your land. You are, you are the Vatican City Shannon of Lance. Fox News. <laughs> Back <laughs> Chancellor. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I believed I was making an impactful difference. And every day I woke up and I embraced being an FBI special agent until things changed. Over the course of my 12 plus years, the FBI's trajectory has transformed. On Bureau, the, papers, the Bureau's mission had remained the same, but its priorities and governing principles shifted dramatically. The FBI became politically weaponized, starting from the top in Washington and trickling down to the field offices. That is a very teary Nicole Parker, a former FBI special agent at the weaponization of uh, day one of the weaponization of government hearing where a lot of Republicans, conservatives, I think for very good reason, feel as though government was weaponized against them and their interests. And the FBI was leading the charge, especially if you look at the Twitter files with me right now is Fox News Sunday's own. Chancellor. Chancellor Shannon Bream. <laughs> Shannon, this was one of the moments that Republicans were talking about. Whistleblowers coming forward. We also had Grassley come forward, Senator Ron Johnson come forward, and a lot of pushback from Democrats who said, what a waste of time this is. Well, the thing is, we ask these men and women who serve our country in any of these federal agencies, um, in some cases, to put their own lives and their own, um, you know, good well-being and safety on the line for as law enforcement officers. And so they have to believe in the mission. They have to believe that the country is neutral, that they and their agency are not going to be used as political weapons. And so I think it's got to be heartbreaking for them, regardless of whether they grew up Democrat or Republican or anything else, if they feel like we're getting off that mission. Fox News did a uh, poll, 
and they said, which is in, what is important for Congress to investigate? 71% said FBI and IRS. Number two is Biden and classified documents. Number three is COVID-19. And number four is Afghanistan. Five, Trump and classified documents. It's all happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know that for sure. From what you were able to glean from watching the testimony yesterday, there was the Democrats say this is ridiculous, and the Republicans try to land substantive blows. Yeah. And the day before, too. Yeah, and the thing is, is that whether you're Democrat or Republican, you should care about this. And if you think there's nothing there, then great. Have the hearing and say, look, you guys are making fools out of yourself. There's nothing here. We'd all hope that. We don't want to think that any of these agencies is weaponized. But you've got to remember, when your party's in charge... And then when your party's not in charge, would you ever want these things to be used against you or the people that you, your supporters, that kind of thing? You always have to look at the shoe on the other foot with these agencies and the situation in Washington. All right. So, uh, Shannon, we want to talk a little bit about the Super Bowl. This was the high moment yesterday uh, that uh, the NFL honors. DeMar Hamlin not only, uh, not only is okay, was able to show up last night, and he's surrounded by everyone that kept him alive. Cut 24. First, I would like to just thank God for even being here. Every day, I am amazed that my experiences could encourage so many others across the country and even across the world. Encourage to pray, encourage to spread love, and encourage to keep fighting no matter the circumstances. Sudden cardiac arrest was nothing I would have ever chosen to be a part of my story. But that's because sometimes our own visions are too small, even when we think we are seeing the bigger picture. My vision was about playing in the NFL and being the best player that I could be. But God's plan was to have a purpose greater than any game in this world. So that brought down the house. Everybody was on their feet. Uh, the whole medical team, they kept them alive. This guy was dead. Mm-hmm. They brought him back because they would, they, I did not know this. Every, uh, the, the closest, most effective medical center is put out in emergency care, just ready could something happen on the football field. Mm-hmm. So that was a great moment. Yeah. I mean, he's amazing, and he's inspired us to think beyond and bigger and about greater purpose also. And, and to hear, I don't want to get the, the title wrong, but the NFL medical director say he believes this guy's going to play professional football again. Next year, uh, Fox News Sunday, when can we see it? You're going to see it, uh, whatever it is in your local affiliate, it replays 2 p.m. Eastern on Fox News. And Channel. it's going to be hosted by Chancellor Shannon Bream. Chancellor Brain. Shannon Bream at your service. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Rihanna came out and said that you are the greatest quarterback ever. Hearing that, how does that make you feel? It makes you feel great. Uh, then uh, it, she's uh, she's going to crush it at halftime. I have family members that I think are more excited about the halftime show than they are the game. Um, and so uh, whatever Rihanna says is like like the gospel. So I'm glad that she she went with me for that for that honor. She didn't. She oh. didn't. I was just messing. Around. Oh man. <laughs> You got, you got me up here smiling and smirking. <laughs> That's so mean. He is mean. Okay? I am so sorry you went through that. I still think you're great. See? There's still nice people in the world. He's a hater, though. And that, of course, is Rihanna responding to Brandon Marshall. 
having that sarcastic joke to Patrick Mahomes, which I think is pretty humiliating in a small way. And then Rihanna answered, he's not my favorite quarterback, but he still likes him, and it was mean. But is it really mean? The person who's an expert on that is Carissa Thompson. Uh, She does everything on Fox and Amazon that's important. Carissa, welcome back. Hi, Brian. I am the expert on mean. Yes, I have the uh, authority to (laughs) define what is mean and what is it. Oh, my God, that was horrible. Don't you think so? It was was a very mean thing to do. And, look, I love sarcasm. You and I get it. Like, you know, that's kind of our vibe. But not in a situation like that either. He's, like, standing up there and, you know, just a vulnerable moment where it's like, like, wow, and it feels like, you know, this great compliment only to get shot back down. So, no, I don't think that was very tasteful. But anyway. So have you had a... Have you had a chance, because I know you blend both worlds, entertainment, most of your friends are celebrities. Um, you blend entertainment and sports. Do you have a chance to talk to Rihanna yet? I haven't. No, actually, Michael Strahan came in, uh, to our production meeting yesterday a little late because he was doing a sit-down interview with her. So, you know, given what an incredible stage and, and honor this is for her to do the halftime show, they're kind of keeping her sequestered. Um, but he said she was great, and I'm looking forward to seeing that interview. And I'm going to tell you, Brian, obviously, you know, the game's going to be an unbelievable matchup. We talked about it earlier when I was in New York a few weeks ago. And, uh, the, you know, you couldn't ask for a better matchup to these great, you know, offensive teams on the defensive ball. They're great. This is the best team out of the NFC, the best team out of the AFC. Uh, but I can't wait for this halftime show. It's going to be – I'm a huge <laughs> Rihanna fan. What's, what's your favorite song, Brian? Um, I like – I'm going to pull Trump with the Bible. I like all of them. When they ask him what his favorite passage is, he says, I like all work. of them. You know, I'm not, like, I'm not anti-Rihanna. She doesn't play a large role in my life. Not big enough. But maybe oh. that will change after this. <laughs> Hey, look, you got to keep an open mind. Your life could be changed by this halftime performance. Yes, and I am looking to change my life. I'm on the wrong path, and I'm hanging out with the wrong crowd, so it's really not going well. So, Chris, what's this week been like, and who do, who do, who's your sit-down with? It's been great. Uh, you know, I mean, you know how this is out here. It's, uh, a, it's always exciting. I mean, I think this is the 10th Super Bowl I've been to, but the fourth that I've covered – uh, and having the luxury of doing that with Fox. So uh, I sat down with Nick Sirianni this week, uh, head coach wow. for the Philadelphia Eagles, only his second year as a head coach and already has his team in the Super Bowl. And I joked with him, I was like, you don't waste much time because there was that storied uh, press conference where he didn't you know, fare too well in front of a Philadelphia and NFL media at large. He kind of fumbled his way through it two years ago in his introductory press conference. And two years to the date, he ends up punching his ticket, him and his team, to be here in the Super Super Bowl. So he's had an unbelievable turnaround. A great guy, like great energy. Just he's only forty-one years old. I'm like, you're only forty-one, and you've got your team in the Super Bowl. I'm forty with two divorces. Someone's doing something right. So, so let me ask you. He's got a swagger, though, right? Yep, sure does. He, he definitely has a swagger. I, I think that it might be getting under some people's skin just by reading between the lines at some of what some of the players are saying. Not his team, but other teams. That's called jealousy. So let's just go ahead and uh, which teams are saying it, the New York Giants, you know, the Dallas Cowboys, anyone in that division. I like the bravado, and it's actually an interesting relationship. There's like a juxtaposition between Jalen Hurts has a swagger, but he's quiet, right? And, you know, even, uh, you know, sitting down with him the other day, he was like, you know, I, I like, 
being animated. I like being over the top. And that's just Nick Sirianni's vibe. And you have to, you can't argue with the results he's had. So who cares? I mean, there's the Bill Belichick way of coaching, and people don't like that because, you know, he's only going to give you one word answers. And then there's Sirianni, who's like dancing on the sideline, and people don't like that. But people also don't like winners, you know? So that's one of those things where I just look at it like you're jealous. So I love it. You do. Here is Jalen Hurts, cut 34. Everything that I want to do is just quantify my work, just quantify the work that I put in. I don't really like to look at the results, never like to look at the results, just the process of getting better. You can look back and say that there are so many things that can motivate me and drive me to want more and to be the best. And, and you know, why do I just keep getting up and going and going and going? But I had a purpose before everybody had an opinion. It's not about anybody else. I know y'all like that one. <laughs> that is a great line. That. It's such a great line. I had purpose before everyone had opinions. It's it is, and and we were talking about it yesterday actually in our production meeting. Sean Payton, who we uh, only get for this last game here on Sunday, and then of course he'll go on as he's been, uh, you know, crowned the named the head coach of the Denver Broncos. But he was saying that he and we were trying to think about if there was any other examples that this was the quickest turnaround for a quarterback that he's seen. Where it's last year, you know, we've been questioning. Uh, is Jalen Hurts the guy? Is he your franchise quarterback? And then this year, you know, front runner for MVP until he got hurt. Mahomes, of course, winning that award last night. But Jalen Hurts has had an unbelievable turnaround, and large in part, he's the son of a coach. Um, he's, you know, he just knows how to stay the path, do the thing, and you know, the accolades will come. So, looking forward to seeing these two guys in the Super Bowl for sure. Absolutely, but you know what? I know you also like you like the storylines and the fact is he starts for Alabama then he sits for Alabama and then he transfers to Oklahoma finalist to win the Heisman so you go go from starring and star starting and starring to sitting and then you you could doubt yourself but instead he mm-hmm. moves on and moves up and i think that steals you i don't care if people listening to us and they never played a down of football when you get disappointed how you react really defines who you are Oh, not even a question, Brian. And I mean, we love sports for a lot of different reasons, but uh, even to your previous point, you don't have to love sports to love comeback stories or to love, you know, we love to build people up, tear them down and build them back up. I mean, there's plenty of examples of that just in entertainment and sports and politics, everything in between. But for a kid like Jalen Hurts, uh, it's, it's hard not to root for someone like him. And same for Patrick Mahomes. These guys, you know, we've been very lucky to, you know, I'm covering sports for myself for the last 15 years where you get the Brady's and you get the Aaron Rodgers and you get the Peyton Manning. But I'm really excited about this young group of quarterbacks. When you look at the Josh Allen, the Joe Burrow, Jalen Hurts, Patrick Mahomes, like we're so lucky to be, you know, covering this game, but also just fans of football when you've got guys like that. It's easy to root for. So you, you told me, I, I'm not sure if it was on or off the air when you were in, in New York a couple of weeks ago, about Brian Dable and, you mm-hmm. know, how direct he is, much like that Parcells guy. So he walked in the red carpet, he got the sense he was going to win Coach of the Year. He said he didn't know if he was going to. But here's the question I asked him last night, cut 26. A year ago today, if I told you you're going to be walking down the red carpet, uh, Coach of the Year uh, worthy, what would you have said to me? Yeah, that's a long way away, I would say. Um, you know, just appreciative of the people that I get to work to, with in our building, the players. Really, the players are the reason I'm here, so much appreciation for them. That first play to go for two instead of kicking the extra point, in retrospect, how much did that set the table for the success you had? Well, obviously it was a big play. It gave us some momentum. I think the players bought in a little bit more. But, again, that was a, a mutual decision between myself, some of the analytics guys, and then ultimately the players of 
you know, we're going to go for it. When you win in five games a year and you have a chance to tie it and force overtime and you go for two, that really made me sense this guy's got some confidence, don't you think? Absolutely, and it goes back to the conversation I had with Sirianni earlier this week when he went he went for it on fourth down 35 times this year. He was successful 71% of the time, and we were talking about that, just sort of the, you know, the bravado that it, and the message that it sends to your team, like, hey, like, I believe you, I, I trust you guys, like, I believe in you, and that, I don't know how you couldn't be impacted by that or those play calls, uh, you know, in the huddle and sideline locker room kind of mentality, like, we're, we're all in. You know, so I love what these guys have done. And, and again, even just talking and, and getting to spend time with Sean as a member of the kickoff crew for the last year, coaching matters. You know, look at the job that Doug Peterson did in Jacksonville. This is a team that was upside down, turned around, the, you know, the mess that was Urban Meyer when he came in there. And Doug Peterson led this team to, you know, an inconceivable playoff win against the Chargers in that comeback victory. So it's been, you know, I, I sit there and say how great it is with these young quarterbacks. It's also great to watch these young coaches, and not even just young by age, but just in their tenure at the position, having such success and rejuvenating these teams. Carissa Thompson, our guest, Fox Sports. Carissa, can you give us an idea uh, who, what else we could expect on the marathon pregame show? You mentioned Rihanna yeah. with Mike Strahan. <laughs> Yep, yep. Aaron uh, Andrews sits down with Patrick Mahomes. Uh, Jimmy Johnson and Andy Reid have a great conversation. There's no shortage of entertainment there. And then Terry Bradshaw sat down with Jalen Hurts. So that'll be all a part of our five-hour pregame that's full of, you know, this the Super Bowl is not just about the game, right? I mean, it's 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 a whole spectacle. So there's a little bit uh, of entertainment, of course, some breakdown of the game. But, you know, we talk about it all week when it actually gets there. like to have some fun and talk a little X's and O's, but I'm really looking forward to this game. I, I, I know you are, too. It's going to be a good matchup. Absolutely. Yeah, especially, I, I tell you what, I'm one of these people that always love the pregame shows. I have to listen to the game with the audio on. I can't go to a crowded place and watch a game. I want to hear what everyone has to say, so I can't wait for these features. Number two is you told me about your podcast with Aaron Andrews. I saw the story in People Magazine. Here's a little, if you haven't yet, turned into, uh, turned into Clarissa and Aaron Andrews' podcast. Listen. And it's cool, too, because, you know, I'm out – obviously with the teams doing the games and then this year Carissa obviously was out there for Amazon but then she does it as well doing sit down features so a lot of the guys she goes and sits with I've already sat with and you know I'll be like hey talk to him about this if you don't know him talk to him about this or same thing with her if I haven't really sat with a guy and she you know had had just been there for Amazon and so forth Um, so yeah it's really cool it's very refreshing in an industry that is so competitive and really cutthroat, especially with women, that she gets it. She's one of my best friends. You guys, it's a pretty special friendship, and it's a great sense of humor for both of you. Well, thank you, Brian. Yeah, I feel very lucky to echo Aaron's sentiments there in that clip is, you know, her and I have both been in this industry for about 15 years and crossed paths when we were at ESPN and then spent you know, the last decade here together at Fox. But it is, you know, you, you spend so much time, you know, with your colleagues at work, they become family, and Erin's like a sister to me. And it is nice to have, you know, 
uh, someone that has your back on those kinds of things that, you know, earlier this year, she was supposed to do a Mahomes sit down interview scheduling wise. She couldn't get there. And she's like, I want you to do it. And so it's, there's, there's no ego. There's no, you know, comp like competitiveness between us. We're only supportive. And it's really nice to have had that friendship and be on this journey together. And it culminates, you know, with her working the sidelines and uh, a Super Bowl. I always get, so I wait down there with her to do her hit, to give her a big hug afterwards, because we're just, you know, two little girls that like love football because of our dad. <laughs> and so it's cool to like have that moment together. Right, giving a great example for another generation of sideline reporters, anchors, and play-by-play voices. And lastly, the one of the skills that you have that I hope is not underappreciated but doesn't go by me, you have these great athletes who might be wonderful people, but you've got to get them to say what they know. If I have a, an expert on, they have a political point of view or, or an expertise, they're there to talk. A lot of times, football players come right off the field, they go to your show, coaches, Sean Payton, and you've got to get them to relate to the audience and the way you do that is so skilled and the way you bait it out, bring it out and then step back. I think that is a underappreciated quality, probably not by your employers, but maybe by the Mm -hmm. audience. No, thank you. That means a lot coming from you. I really appreciate that. I mean, I always look at it like this. I'm, I'm the fan, right? I'm the ombudswoman that's the, the, that conduit between, like, you. these are the experts. These are the people that play. These are the people that coach. And if I'm the fan at home, what do I want to ask them? What do I want them, you know, yeah. what do I want to hear from them? So, you know, there's uh, there's an opportunity that I have sitting at that desk to quarter quarterback the desk, distribute the ball uh, in, in an appropriate way that I see best fit for us to win the game. And I always just approach it from the mentality of, of, like that's our team up there and how are we going to win and I can you know put us in the best position to be successful by getting the best out of them so thank you for saying that I very much appreciate it but yeah I've been and lucky lastly, I work with the group this time right. right and Michael Vick coming right off the field too after all those years and he kind of qu- seems quiet by nature but he on your show he every day every week he seems to get better uh the lastly Sean Payton will not be with you he's going to the Broncos are you surprised no, because, I mean, I even knew uh, I cried. I was sad when uh, he said he was going because he, I've just him and I have become good friends, and he's, you know, the ultimate teammate. He's the guy who can leave after our show, but he stays all day long. He's so sweet. He stays in the green room. He, just, he says, in case you need me. Um, so, you know, in this industry, there's not a lot of guys that do that. Uh, with his resume, he has no ego. I wasn't surprised that he went back to coaching. Um, I was hopeful that I'd have him, you know, hang out with us for at least another year, but he had a lot of you know, tricks left in that coaching bag of his. And I can't wait to see what he does in Denver. That's an organization that has such a storied, you know, is a storied franchise and uh, with a down year. But uh, I'm excited to see what he does in his relationship with Russell Wilson. He's, you know, Sean's a straight shooter. And some of the things that Russell has come out and, you know, done and this and that, Sean's like, yeah, I'm not too familiar with that, but we're not doing that anymore. And I think that they're going to have a great relationship. And I look forward to, you know, watching it from the sidelines. My sense is, that he wouldn't have picked Denver if he didn't think Wilson could play still. That my, oh, that's my sense. Right. I mean, you, you can't, right, exactly. Well, he, he, he knows that he needs, you know, there's no denying Russell Wilson's a great quarterback. He's won a Super Bowl, almost won two. In fact, it was right here in Glendale, Arizona, where he threw the interception on the goal line, which, you know, as a Seattle gal, still uh, upsets me whenever I walk in that building. But either way, uh, you know, he's a proven quarterback. He's a, a you know, a Pro Bowl player. Gotcha. Uh, now it's time to see what he does when he's got a new coach. Yep. Uh, Carissa Thompson, cannot wait to see you on Sunday, and uh, I'll see you in the tent where there's a free buffet and plenty of Danish. Thank you so much, Carissa. If it's free, I'll take three. You're the best friend. Thank you. (laughs) That's what I heard. If it's free, she'll take it. Back in a moment. Wrap things up for this hour. Learning something new every day. 
on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. It's official, everybody. Chad and Bream will not get the interview with the President of the United States, and they've turned it down. The White House has turned it down. It's your tradition for years, whoever the president is, whoever the network is, you sit down. If Bill O'Reilly is going to be talking to Obama, you do it. If Donald Trump is going to be talking to whoever the anchor is on the network, you do it. But now this president says, I'm not doing it. So I just think it's classless, especially it's also an in-your-face. You just sat down with Judy Woodruff for the most boring softball interview ever, and then you go and talk to Telemundo, and now you can't make some time to address an audience of 100 million people? Really? With Shannon Bream? Really? You just, if, you, if you are afraid of tough questions from a network that might ask you those tough questions, you shouldn't be president. And I think for me, personally, that should play into his reelection. You, don't, you want to run for reelection. You got in while staying in your basement and not being Donald Trump. And now you want to run six years and you don't want to take any tough questions. Maybe a few have, uh, uh, odd questions shouted from the side by Peter Ducey or Jackie Heinrich. I just think it's just terrible. Uh, and I'll, I just hope that other networks point that out. But they probably won't. Also, uh, John Fetterman, the guy's in really bad shape. I only wish him the best, but he was in really bad shape, and everyone covered it up. No one wrote about it, how incapacitated he was, what a farcical debate that was. They just said he should have done the debate. And now Pennsylvania is not represented. How the hell is he going to represent Pennsylvania? Thanks so much for listening. Super Bowl 57, we cover it all. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in free-fall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.